So you'll see a link in our little show notes here, which I've told you not to click until we start the episode, mm-hmm. and it is the totals of our t-shirt colors. Ooh. Yep. Oh, let me open this up. Let me see. So thank you to everybody who bought a t-shirt. I really appreciate that. Uh, and so I want to give the, the world the colors totals. So you, obviously gray one. It's just domination. It's not even no, winning. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with that. I wouldn't say it's domination. I, I was quite pleased with how I ended up coming out here. Well, I say I. It's just the color blue. <laughs> um, that, that has won this scenario so it was in total 433 grey t-shirts and 184 blue t-shirts you doing some calculations yes I am doing some calculations it is 70% grey that is the that's the relevant thing here that works out for me like if this was an, an actual popularity contest then I would be happy with 30% popularity. You'd be pretty happy with 30% of the vote? Yeah, I think I bought about 116 of the blue shirts. Oh, there we go. Okay, so you're throwing <laughs> you're throwing the vote here. Can you imagine? I just take all the money that I made and just pumped it straight into blue. <laughs> it would be a good investment. It would be an excellent investment, I think it's Mike. a ter- terrible, terrible investment. I, I was talking to Adina about this when, when we got the numbers through, and I mm-hmm. said that... Uh, I, whilst I understand the popularity contest aspect of it, I, I do think that even if it was I was gray and you were blue, gray would still win. People like gray t-shirts. Oh, yeah. I, I honestly I honestly think if we reversed it, the numbers would be no different. I think people buy the color shirt that they want to buy. I still wanted to just see if it would boost the blue color, you know, because mm-hmm. there was it, it wasn't a strong chance, but there was mm-hmm. a chance that I was going to win, and then it would have been incredible. The fact that I didn't is fine, but if I did, it would have been glorious. Right, it would have been really sweet. <laughs> yep. But I'm very much looking forward to receiving my t-shirts. Yeah, that's great. Because I bought a bunch. How many did you buy, Mike? I think I bought four for me and one for Adina. That's quite a lot of t-shirts. I obviously bought her blue only. Right. Well, I, this is, as I said, you know, as the man of redundancy as you are, uh, these t-shirts will never be printed again, so I wanted to have a few of them. So I've got a few spare in case, I don't know, one day I'm really angry and just tear one off. Right. There you, know? you go. Just in case. Sounds possible. <laughs> Sounds possible. Yeah, I ordered two of the gray ones, obviously. And so, uh, yeah, I can't wait to <sighs> see them in person. You didn't even get one blue one. Did you get one gray one? No, you didn't. Yeah, I bought two of each. Oh, I, I missed that part. I thought you were you were stuffing the ballot box with four blue ones. No, no, two of each. I keep things fair, nice and balanced around here. Uh, now I feel slightly bad, but it's fleeting. I'm happy. I'm happy to have my two gray t-shirts on the way. I feel okay again. <laughs> I felt bad for just a second, and now right. I feel good. Yeah, that's how it works. Kyle, uh, Kyle did exactly what I hoped somebody would do, and he slowed down the Cortex theme ten thousand times. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> That's a lot of time. I don't know if he needed to do it as much as he did. I feel like maybe a thousand would have sufficed, mm-hmm. but he went all the way to 10,000. And it is horrific. It just started playing in my ears when I clicked the link. And it is just a very, very, very long singular note is what it sounds like. And then at one point it changes and it's another very, very, very long singular note. Uh, yes, I'm listening through my headphones now. Yep. And... This is extraordinarily unpleasant. <laughs> it doesn't have the majesty that Jurassic Park does, really. Which is a shame. Maybe somebody could try and slow down an episode and see how that sounds. Maybe our voices are more melodic than no. our, our jingles. 
No, that, that's, go that's, going to be, that's going to be way worse. But yes, this is definitely the first slow music that I do not enjoy. <laughs> I do not enjoy this <laughs> it sounds like one, an alarm. one tiny bit. <laughs> like, it's horrible. I, Kyle, I appreciate your work. Uh, just I do not appreciate the outcome. But there right. is nothing you could have done about that. That's our fault, really. Yeah. And we made a horrible mistake last episode. Did we? Did we really, Mike? We I know did. what you want to talk about. You want to talk about the lingua franca thing. Yep, not French. <laughs> which received a lot of feedback, <laughs> which I have to say I enjoyed. I enjoyed the all over the board nature of it. Yeah. Because we originally got some corrections of people saying, oh, you idiots, it, it's not French. That phrase is in Italian. But then as these things happen, as the day goes on, we start hearing from other people that, oh, no, it's Latin. No, it's Portuguese. No, it's Polish. Right? Just everything across the board except, except French. French. Right. <laughs> all of them. All of the languages lingua franca is correct in except for French. Right. Uh, and I uh, was just curious to see what the actual answer is. And yes, it is pretty much like the, the phrase is in Italian and it is not in reference to French language. It is in reference to a language used around the Eastern Mediterranean Sea, according to Wikipedia, during the 18th century as like a common language for commerce and diplomacy that had a whole mix of a bunch of other languages in it. So this is, this is what this is referring to. It's not French. I'm going to go out on a limb and just say there's no way we could have known that. I mean, we obviously could have known that. That is a thing that is knowable. It's it, this wow. is not this is not like uh, some philosophical question about the fundamental nature of the universe that might be unknowable. Do you survive being transported in a Star Trek transporter, for example? Possibly unknowable. This is definitely a thing that we could have known, but we just didn't. We just didn't. All right, now I've got to ask you: What do you think about that? Do you think that people that in a Star Trek transporter stay alive, or do you think they're like broken up into pieces and it's a brand new person? No, obviously they die every time. Every time they die. Yeah, I think that too. You agree with me? Great. Yeah, so we're not going to have a big argument about it. We can let that happen on the Reddit. Like, the Reddit <laughs> can do that now. Yeah. We have just put that out there for debate. I will just throw in very slightly that this is seriously one of the few questions that really does haunt me sometimes when I think about it Ooh. a little bit. Because I think the answer might be unknowable. And then that says, like, wait, what do you mean that there might be an unknowable question? But anyway, we're not really going to get into that now because we have plenty to talk about as it is in the show notes. Like the rule of two. All of the feedback, reading through all the Reddit stuff about this has been glorious. I think my favorite mm -hmm. question, though, comes from Alistair. And Alistair asks, what about wives? Or husbands, of course. But what about partners, Gray? Do you not need two partners to have one partner? How does this work? I need I need to know. Well, I mean, ideally, what you would want to do is back up your wife, right? Like, I would love a backup of my wife, like just like I would love a backup of myself. But we're we're not in that we're not in that scenario right now. This is once again we've rapidly gone back to Star Trek world and what is possible and what is not possible. Uh -huh. But yes. Humans are in a situation where there's only one of you. What about a twin? No, but those are different people, Mike. Okay. I'm not sure if you're aware, but really? twins are actually different people. Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Hmm. They look just the same, though. There actually was in my high school uh, one set of identical twins that I never realized existed until my senior year when I saw the two of them in the same place. And then my mind was blown. It's like, oh, wow. I thought there was just one of you, but there are two of I you. I thought you were just around a lot. <laughs> Basically, that is what I thought. But then I discovered my senior year that I was an idiot. But yeah, so ideally, you would like to back yourself up because there's only one copy of me 
if I get hit by a truck, like this is what death is. You know, there's no backup. There's no redundancy. Uh, and so, of course, if my wife dies or anyone's partner dies, you don't have a backup of that person. And that's why, yes, unfortunately, with human life, we are in a one is none situation. And also, you know, morals, right? You don't have two, two partners because they're your morals to only have one partner. Did you ever see Big Love, Mike? No. Uh, Big Love was this show on HBO, I want to say, uh, a while back, which is a drama about a polygamous Mormon family. And it was very good for the first two seasons, I would say. After that, it went downhill very fast. But I used to watch that show, and I just thought I could never be polygamous Mainly because like, I'm not a, I'm not like a good people person, and I find having a single partner seems complicated enough. But having two or three partners, this is one of the like when you graph it out on a piece of paper, the number of relationships now between three people as opposed to just between two people, it's way too complicated. Mm-hmm. And so I used to watch that show and just think I could not be polygamous simply because of the stress of it all. It would just be way way too high of an anxiety situation so no polygamy for me i'm not a people person i didn't get any of the references for rule of two there are many and i didn't get any of them it just felt like i was that gray was just talking to me and giving me some some sage advice that's just how i took it Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously the the most poignant of the references is to star wars right um, with, and I did some some googling on this, and the idea being the master and apprentice in the Sith, uh, that the apprentice is always ready to take the place of the master, and then they get their own apprentice. So there's always two. It's two right. Sith. There's two Sith. I would love to know from the lore nerds when was the the exact phrase the rule of two first used in Star Wars? Because I have a feeling this was a relatively recent addition. It was in one of the books. It was to a pair of Sith that I'd never heard of. Hmm. You know. Okay, that makes sense. Because I, I was thinking, I know for a fact that was not in the original movies. It might have been in the prequels, but I wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention because they're so boring. Yeah, see, that's why I didn't get it, because I've never indulged anything Star Wars outside of the movies. I've never looked into any of the books or any of the lore or anything like that. I've merely just seen the movies. Yes. But so I'm pretty sure that the the origin of this phrase, the rule of two, as far as I know, comes from the military. And it seems that a few people on the Reddit backed me up on this one. And I just think Lucas stole it for Star Wars because it sounds nice. But yes, the, the full thing in the military, as far as I'm aware, is that it's you say that three is two, two is one, one is none. And that this comes from vital equipment. So the idea is like, say you're setting up a military base somewhere and you need electrical power for your base. You need to have three electrical generators because if one of them is, say, sabotaged, now you have two electrical generators, and you need that backup system where each is backing up the other one while you are replacing and or fixing the third one. So that that's the idea of like the optimal trade-off for stability without incredible redundancy is three is two two is one and one is none and i just love saying it because it's fun (laughs) i've been thinking a lot about it though as i think many people have and just considering in my life how i need to now like just duplicate everything yeah what are you going to duplicate mike well i've i've been thinking a lot about my equipment 
Mm-hmm. But I use and thinking how I need to now have. I already have two, so now I feel like I need to have three. Like I have, I have like a backup of all my equipment. I have a microphone, mm-hmm. uh, and I have some kind of USB interface, and I have a different computer in my in my closet. Mm-hmm. So I'm now thinking that I need to now buy another one of all of those things. So I end up with three. I would suggest that might be that might be a little bit of overkill. Well, <laughs> this is what you've done, so. Eventually, you'll tell me four is three, and then I'll just be screwed. Yeah, this is actually, I'm doing a long con on you right now, which is to see how much equipment can I make Mike purchase. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Smile. We love Smile, and Smile love podcasts, and everyone loves a deal. So, Smile is offering 20% off new licenses of their amazing products for listeners of this show. All you need to do is go and buy from them directly before October 15th. Now, you've heard us speak about their great products in the past, and if for any reason you've been holding off, now is the time to buy. You can save yourself 20% on PDF Pen, the all-purpose Mac PDF editor, which easily lets you add signatures, text, and images to your PDFs. You can make changes and correct typos, and have your documents OCR scanned, export in Microsoft Word format, and so much more. Or how about 20% off PDF Pen Pro, which also lets you start making interactive forms, build table of contents, and convert web pages to PDFs. You could also get yourself 20% off the incredible text expander, the glorious app that saves you from having to overwork your fingers or your keyboard. You can effortlessly expand custom keyboard shortcuts into frequently used text and pictures. This app is so powerful and I believe an essential tool for any Mac owner. Smile have been such a fantastic supporter of this show and all of the great shows at Relay FM since the beginning. And you can help support them and us by buying one of their amazing products today. All you need to do is go to smilesoftware.com cortex and use the coupon code cortex at checkout. These discounts are only available directly from Smile, not from the Mac App Store. This discount does not apply to eBooks or upgrades and... It is only available until October 15th, 2015, so hurry. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show. So, Mike, mm-hmm. how are you feeling today? I'm jet-lagged. This is in the uh, the whole veil of this podcast. is basically about jet-lag, uh-huh. and I am currently experiencing that. Um, I came back from America yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday. Oh, what time did you wake up this morning then? Uh, I woke up at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was intended to wake up at eight. That didn't go very well. Nope. Basically, we, me and Adina had set alarms. They did not help. Yeah. Uh, futile. Futile. Yes. Well, I don't even know why we bothered. When you're coming from the West Coast, you just f***ed, right? There's no way around that. <laughs> West Coast back to London. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. It is always terrible. I was even bad flying out this time. The day after we arrived, the next morning I woke up at four and couldn't go back to sleep. Wait, the day when you arrived in Portland? In Portland, yeah. Mm -hmm. I woke up at 4 a.m. And then uh, Adina woke up at like 4.30, so we just woke up, right? Mm -hmm. Taking a long morning, looking out the window at the people, getting ready for their day and stuff like that. It was fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the next day I woke up at five, then six, then seven, Mm -hmm. then eight, and then the last two days, I was fine. Okay. Why does that happen? And I've come back, and now I'm all over the shop again. Mm-hmm. Like, we were basically, we were awake until, like, 2 a.m., and then we both woke up at, like, 3.30. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why does that happen? Uh, and then just then I managed to sleep until what was supposed to be 8 and then ended up to be 10. The question always with jet lag is, 
was it worth it for your XOXO conference? It was. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a minor annoyance, really, uh, Mm -hmm. when the whole trip was fantastic. I had a great time. We had a great time. Um, I liked having Indina with me. It's the first conference like or thing like this that she's been to with me. So she got to meet a bunch of my friends. Uh, and I and it was a, a worthwhile experience for both of us, for sure. So explain XOXO, because I, even yeah. even I'm not entirely sure about my my. Here's my impression from the outside. XOXO, like even the name. OK, so it's all like hugs and kisses. Uh-huh. And it's a bunch of like hipsters who get together in Portland to talk about their artisanal creations of some kind to each other. And there's hugs and kisses. Is that the conf- like? Is that what is that what it is? How wrong am I? Uh, in a nutshell, kind of yes. Kind of okay. Yeah. So it started four years ago as a Kickstarter mm-hmm. project, and it's set up by two guys, Andy Bayo and Andy McMillan, who have both been around on the internet for a long time. Like Andy Bayo is the guy in charge of Waxy.org and upcoming and stuff. Oh, like that. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically, they they wanted to just see if they could have a festival slash conference in Portland. So they did a Kickstarter project for it and everybody who backed it got a ticket, right? And it did really well. And then they've, and I went to the second one, so two years ago, and okay. loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then I couldn't go to the last one because I just quit my job. Uh, so I went back this year. And it's basically, it is both a conference and a festival. They have two days of the conference where they have independent creators, as you kind of summed up talk about the stuff that they make right so Mm -hmm. this is like bloggers and cartoonists uh and artists and musicians they give talks about the stuff that they do they have podcasts as well then also around these two days in the evenings and on either side they have what's called they call the festival part where they have people do what they call story which is basically podcasts on stage they had reply all there this year they do music so they put on a night of music they do a video game so they curate some video games and they do some board games as well so they bring those in like they curate a list and then people play them during Hmm. the time so you can buy a festival pass which is just that stuff or you can get the conference pass which is everything so the talks and all of the stuff around it and effectively it is very like everybody is very emotional by the end uh, because it's a lot of people being like talking about themselves and kind of telling their stories, and everybody there is either a in, an independent creator of some kind or b wants to be. Right. I remember when I went the first time, I just wanted to quit my job the next day, mm-hmm. and this time I felt really good and vindicated in my choices, but also terrified because there are people <laughs> that are telling stories about the stuff that has gone wrong. And, you know, like all of these things, it was really good this time as well because a a bigger group of my friends were there. So lots of my friends um, had made the trip out. So it was really nice to hang out with people and see people. And I did, that was actually the best part of it for me, really, was just hanging out with my friends. Um, And then, you know, seeing some great talks and going to see some of the video game stuff and some of the music stuff. And it was a really nice venue. They, uh, They actually put all the talks on inside of an old high school. Hmm which had now been converted into like a co-working space, which was a fantastic venue because they had this great auditorium. Also, like they had the outside area, like the grass area where they had like benches and food trucks and a stage where they had music on all the time and they had free beer and free soda and free coffee for the whole weekend. Sounds pretty good. It was, it's really good fun, actually. I had a really, really great time. I recommend it, Gray. Splitting it up like that is good. 
because on the occasions I get conference invitations, it's always about, well, who else is going to the conference? Yep. Right? It's like, if I know a bunch of people going to the conference, I am way more likely to go to the conference. And it's like, oh, what is this conference about? Ah, whatever. Like, like a bunch of people I know are going. So maybe I'll go. But then the problem with conferences is often this feeling of, oh, we're just, we're just overbooked and watching talks all the time. And you feel like, oh, well, this is now this conflict because I came here for the people and I have spent two days just watching a whole bunch of people give talks in a seat. So that sounds really good the way XOXO breaks it up and has yeah. two days of free playtime for adults to just socialize and hang out with each other. Like, that sounds really good. The first day, the Friday, is actually called Social. Hmm. And they arranged a bunch of meetups. Like, I spent a bit of time at the podcasters meetup. So there were a bunch of people who either made podcasts or were fans of podcasts. Uh, I had quite a few Cortex listeners come up to me. No, There was one guy, Stu, who came up to me to tell me that I blew his mind about the ear rumbling thing. (laughs) <laughs> he was he just came up to me and was like i can do that in my ears too and i was like i know what you're talking about <laughs> uh so yeah that was a lot of fun uh, but yeah it's a great festival and, and like it is more like it has more of that festival feeling especially this one because they had this like permanent grounds area with like a bunch of benches and stuff mm-hmm. so i actually spent more time like just spending time with people than actually attending the talks which was different for me but i loved that that definitely sounds like an excellent conference yeah. and i i have been to only one conference which was my first conference that was a bit free form like that and it was an amazing it was an amazing experience so i feel like huh all right xoxo at least it's it's on my radar then maybe for the future it sounds like they've done it in an interesting way i really recommend it like a third because the, the venue like the area being portland is great like there's great food great drink there's loads of stuff to do there Mm-hmm. Um, and so me and Adina just had a great time. And then we stayed for a couple of days afterwards. We saw the Foo Fighters on Monday, which was brilliant because Dave Grohl had broken his leg and I had tickets to see him in London and they had to cancel the tour like mm-hmm. for those dates. Um, mm-hmm. So we randomly happened upon the fact that they were playing a show in, on the Monday in Portland and we bought tickets and that was great. And then we uh, just hung around a bit when it, after everybody had left, which is nice because it gave us a couple of days to kind of just relax. Because those things, whilst they are, I mean, it sounds like it's just, hey, it's just a lot of fun with your friends. They can be very, like, draining just because there's so much stuff happening all the time, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I find those things exhausting. My wife knows if I come back from a conference, I cannot speak for a couple of days. Yeah, like, it's a ton of fun, but it's because it's so much fun constantly for four days. It exhausts you. It drains all of the chemicals in your brain that are related to socializing and conceptualizing the minds of other people. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm tapped out. I'm unable to speak. This is just over. So I guess I only have I only have two questions then, which is one, is there much hugging at XOXO? Yes. Okay, there's much hugging. I mean, there's it's all consensual hugging. Okay. You know, someone's not just going to like appear behind you and hug you. <laughs> I've had that happen and it is disconcerting. Um <laughs> just like in the street or was it somebody you knew no it's like surprise fan backwards hugging it's like oh hi not really appreciated but thanks um but then i guess my second question did you take adina to a supermarket or a walmart because i know from talking to you that this was on the list of things did you take her to a gigantic store it's incredibly difficult to find those in portland this is what i was thinking is because portland is like the anti-box store land you are in the wrong city 
for gigantic Americana. Yep. And so it was basically impossible to find stuff like that. We did have a lot of like the American experience, which is basically tied up in food. Mm-hmm. But uh, the to to find those kinds of things was was really was actually really difficult. You got to go to North Carolina for gigantic box stores. Yeah, I hear about that. Like the stores inside the stores. Yep. Yeah. Banks and WalMarts. Oh God. Any lessons from XOXO that you want to talk about? I think the main one that I took away was. Uh, just considering the change in advertising mm-hmm. and how that can change over time. Like they had um, a lady called Heather Armstrong and she is known as Deuce on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of the premier mummy blogger. She kind of started all of that. Mm-hmm. And she had a really, really great talk about her pulling away from the industry because of a lot of the sponsored content stuff. It's like mm-hmm. when a company comes to you and they're like, can you write this about us? We'll take you away for this weekend. And then they approve it and all that sort of stuff. And she actually was responsible for some big changes in that realm. I won't spoil her talk because XOXO do put out the videos at some point. So I don't want to spoil it. But mm-hmm. it did make me think about how I just need to be aware of changing tides in advertising because a lot of my business is dependent on advertising. And we yeah. love our advertisers and we love working with them but we love working with them in the way that things are currently done. Right. You know, like I, I don't want a company to come and be like, hey, would you like to make an episode about this and we'll pay you? I've had companies that we don't work with contact me about that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, you're right. Would you like to talk about fishing? <laughs> no, right. not today. So, you know, it's just about thinking about those things, seeing how the industries go and also just considering me about the way that I make money and, and thinking about that. Um, in the long term, because that's obviously an important thing. So it was just interesting to see people that were much further down the line in their path mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and considering how I should be looking at my path over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Sounds like it was worthwhile. Oh, most definitely. Worth the jet lag. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. And yes, my main thing that I came away with is just about how there are things that you can't be prepared for. Mm -hmm. So you should just be prepared for something, if that makes sense. Like, you can't always be prepared for the stuff that's going to happen. So you can't plan for it. But you just need to make sure you have good plan Bs at all times. Yes, I will completely, I will completely agree with that. Because you can't prepare for everything because you can't know what's going to happen. But if you have a good plan B that could affect many different areas, then good. And currently, I don't have that. Um, and I'm happy with that right now, but it's just something I need to think about. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a good piece of advice. It's not exactly a plan B, but it is a bit of the fallback is, is part of the reason why I have an email list to notify my subscribers from YouTube. So it feels like, oh, I, you know, I don't know what is going to happen at YouTube on any particular day. Like, you, I can't plan for particular problems but the email list is a general backup solution for lots of potential problems, even if I don't know the exact shape of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely on board with being aware of of things might change, and how can you be prepared for changes that you don't know about? Which is very hard to do. It's very hard to do, but it is something to definitely think about. All right, so iOS 9 is now out. Yay! So I assume you have it installed on all of your devices. Did that take about a week to do? Probably, right? Go around, do it all. Go. You have to get in a car, drive to the safe, unlock the safe, get out another iPad from the safe. 
install it. No, Mike. No? <laughs> although, although, to be fair, to be fair, I do gather up all the things in the house when the operating system has been released. <laughs> and it is a bunch of devices because it's all of my stuff, plus it's all of my wife's stuff. Bring the things! <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of easier to just have me update them all at once and to just do it. Other- otherwise, you feel like you'd be annoyed uh, over time about updating everything. But no, not everything has been updated yet because there is my office iPad and I haven't been to the office yet. So mm. that one still has to be updated. But other than that, everything is now on iOS 9. And I am very happy that it is It is officially out. And I'm not running the betas anymore. All right. So you, you'd been running the betas for a while, like I had. And mm-hmm. we'd spoken about it a little bit um, when the betas were announced. But have you had any thoughts or feelings about iOS 9 and how it helps you work or not? Well... So here's the thing. The beta was a really frustrating experience in some ways because it's like, oh, look at all these cool things iOS 9 can do, except it can only do them with Apple's built-in apps. And so I felt there were many things that I would want to do, like, for example, writing a script while having a web page open that I couldn't do because the programs were just not compatible. It's like, oh, unless I'm writing in notes and I'm using Safari, I can't do this. And I wasn't going to use notes to be writing my scripts. That would be just craziness. So iOS 9 is out now. And finally, finally, we can use apps, the bit, like actual third-party apps side by side once the developers update them. And I like it so far, the, some of the things that I, w- I was doing, but it's still frustrating just waiting for people to update. And the thing yeah. that I'm really worried about is my go-to markdown editor of choice is editorial, which I absolutely love, but I cannot help but remember that last year it took almost a year for that app to get updated to the iPhone 6 Plus size, and that was extremely frustrating trying to use that on my phone. And so I'm just wondering, like, how long is it going to be before this gets updated to be able to use it side by side with other things? So I feel a bit like right now, uh, my go-to editors are Editorial and Byword. And I'm just waiting to see who updates to iOS 9 first. And I will just use them to write scripts and to work with something on the side of the screen. Uh, Whoever gets there first, that's what I'm going to be using for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I'm in this moment as well. Like, So my, my thing is Google Drive apps like Docs and sheets and mailbox they're like the ones that i'm really waiting on still and i don't have confidence in any of them (laughs) (laughs) yes it's funny you mention that because i don't use the google apps except for this very show because you use google docs and i was preparing for the show earlier today and uh, (laughs) the crazy way i do this is i have my ipad out i open up um, our show notes on the ipad and I'm going through things and I, like, I want to make notes for myself about like little points that we're going to discuss or I want to look at some of the links that you put in the show notes. And I was aware like, oh, okay, this is a perfect time where I could be doing stuff side by side and Google Docs doesn't yet support the side by side thing. And so I wanted to be able to have a little story about how, oh, yes, I was preparing for the show using the side by side thing, but it just it wasn't doable at this stage yet. And so... This is, this is that frustrating transition period that always happens when Apple does something new of waiting for the apps to update, whether it's the Retina screen or it's the larger phone or it's the larger phone again, or now we're going to go through this with 
uh, the 3D touch on uh, iOS devices in the future, presumably. Like, there's always these transi- transition phases that you're waiting to get through, and this is this is where we are right now. And so, I find myself sometimes forgetting that I can do the split screen thing because not everything that I want to use can do it. But I will say that the place where it is most useful and most glorious is with being able to pull instant messenger over on the side. Mm -hmm. Because instant message conversations, it's always so ambiguous when they end. And it's irritating to be flipping back and forth between iMessage and whatever it is you're doing. And so a couple times now I've been like reading something in iBooks and someone wants to talk to me. And it is great to be able to pull over the instant message conversation and just have it there on the side. Or like I'm browsing the web and have it there on the side. So that that is practically the most useful thing so far. But I just, I just can't wait until my whole writing research workflow has the necessary components to do the side-by-side thing. That's, I am just, I cannot wait. <laughs> I'm just crossing my yeah. fingers and hoping a Markdown editor supports this very soon so that's me uh, as well i love that slack slack updated last night as we record this to include their uh split screen oh that's great that's great that makes me very happy because i use slack so much for my messaging mm-hmm. but i'm i'm now basically i just need google to get their act together and update chrome which i'm currently using on my ipad still Mm-hmm. their apps they're like google docs apps and my email app mailbox once they're done then that's enough for me i'm happy then because mm-hmm. they're the things that i do the most but i'm just unconvinced that any of the ones that i need the most are actually going to change this is the feeling of you are at the mercy of other companies to yeah. support the things that you want and you know who's always last to support anything banks yeah, my bank, uh, well, one of the banks that I'm with just updated to the iPhone 6 layout. Wow. Like two days ago. <laughs> really, really keeping it together there. Congratulations, <laughs> bank. But I have to say, overall, I am pretty happy with iOS 9. They've introduced new features, but it doesn't feel like it was rushed and a gigantic buggy mess like iOS 7 was, uh, which was a real disaster for the first six months. Um, yep. So iOS 9 feels like a nice compromise between new stuff and stability so far. I have to say I have been more impressed than I would expect with some of the uh, app suggestion things. So as listeners will know, I have a million apps that are in folders that I just search for by swiping down on the screen and typing. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a little bit gimmicky, this thing where they want to predict what app you're going to use. I thought, oh, certainly it's just going to be my most for used apps up there all the time. But I have to say, I've been pretty impressed with how many times I go to swipe down on the screen and I intend to type, but the thing that I'm going to use is already there. Like It seems that they're doing it relatively smartly, figuring out you know what time of day it is, or whatever they're doing, it works much better than I would have thought it did. So I have to say, I, I quite like that feature. That's been really good for me so far. I like that. I don't like the news part. Oh, okay. This took me forever to figure out because uh, it was driving me crazy that if you, if you swipe not from the top down, but from the side over, it shows you news stories. And I just feel like, I don't want to see this. I was getting really angry about it because I couldn't figure out where to turn it off. But I did figure it out. Here's the trick to get rid of the news. What a great way to start a sentence. Here's a trick to eliminate the news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I hate to say it, but the news, the, the headlines I kept seeing was, was ex- like the worst example of the kind of news that I don't want to hear about. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm I'm swiping over and it's like, oh, the latest on the Republican primaries in the United States and plane crashes and you know, a terrorist incident across the world. It's like I just don't need to see this stuff. Yep. Like I just don't need yep. to see it. But I okay, so anyway, botlight search under general settings. It lists all of this stuff. Now what you would think it would be, and what I foolishly thought it was, is turn off the news option. I thought surely the news option is where you want this to go. No. If you keep scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down, there is this button which is labeled spotlight suggestions. Now it's not the series suggestions up at the top, but at the very, very bottom, the spotlight suggestions button. Now, I don't know why on earth this label is this, because as far as I can tell, if you turn it off, the only thing it removes is the news. Everything else, it'll still show you. It'll still show you results from your documents, which is exactly what I want to be able to search files. It'll still show you everything that you have turned on, but it seems to just not fill Mm. that screen with something if there are no results. That's my guess about what that button is. Like, if you swipe over and there's space on the screen, it must have a fallback of like, oh, just show whatever is the latest in the news. So turning off that switch gets rid of the news. That's how, how you make it go away. It's very weird. I cannot figure out why it's labeled that way. Because, I mean, I know you and I, uh, we've never really talked about it on the podcast, but we both have this a similar opinion about like following the news on a day-to-day basis. And in particular, like following the news when I'm trying to do something else on my iPad. Like, please, this is, this is the last place I ever want to see the news. But surely we're not the only people who feel this way. And that is just the strangest place to make this change but so if anybody's looking to get rid of the news that's where you go spotlight suggestions and if anybody knows what else that's turning off i would love to know yeah it it must be doing something else it can't be just that right it must be other stuff it gets rid of because that wouldn't make any sense to label it that it wouldn't but in when i was playing around with it i couldn't figure out what else it was like the news seemed to be the only thing that changed. And so I'm happy. I can still search all my documents. I can still get everything that I want. And I don't have anything that I don't want. And I just flip that switch. Magic. Magic. Goodbye, news. <laughs> I would have thought it was news, right? That would make yeah. sense. There's a button that says news. <laughs> uh, well, well, the thing was, I was getting really furious because I flipped that news switch. And it's like, oh, I'm still hearing. I'm still hearing all about Donald Trump on my phone. Like, why is this the case? And I was just getting really mad. Like, don't tell me that there is no way to turn this off. Like, there has to be a way to turn this off. And yeah, that's where it was. But I was going to tweet up a storm of fury if there was no way to remove the news. Watch out, Apple. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That stock price will go (laughs) a-tumbling. Yeah, exactly, Apple. (laughs) Tim Cook with your millions of followers. Watch out. This episode of Cortex is also brought to you by Hover. Now, I was just talking about the XOXO Festival, and I met some lovely people from Hover at XOXO, and it just makes me feel better about them in general because they are lovely people and they make an awesome product, and that combination cannot be beaten. Hover is my favorite way to buy and manage domain names. It's the place that I've used for years. I don't even think about anywhere else. For me now, registering a domain name is going to hover.com. They make it super simple. You can really easily find what you're looking for. They have great search tools. You just type in 
the exact domain or some keywords or phrases that you're looking for to try and register, they will show you everything they have available. They have all of the TLDs that you would like. The TLDs are the things like .com, .co, .me, .plumbing, .sexy, .fish, .academy. Whatever you're looking for, they've got it. They have over 200 options in total, and their .com domains start at just $12.99. They also include who is privacy for free of all of the domains that support it, because Hover believed that your private information should be private. Hover also have a great new feature called Hover Connect. So once you register a domain name, usually you have to assign it to something, right? That's what you do. You go to a website that you like, maybe Squarespace or Tumblr or Shopify or something like that, and you want to link that domain to your website with another provider. Usually this is quite difficult and you have to enter in a bunch of information and I've got it wrong in some instances and that meant that I couldn't get any email for a week at one point, which is hilarious. Not really hilarious, but Hover's great support actually helped me out of that hole. With Hover Connect, you just go into your domain admin panel, you select which service you use, you just click it, you say I'm, I'm using Squarespace and Hover will automatically amend all of your DNS records for you. No more copying and pasting to get things set up, they just take care of it. I mentioned that I screwed something up once, which I did, and I emailed Hover Support and they got back to me really quickly and just told me exactly what I needed to do to fix the problem. You can also give them a call. They have no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support, which is awesome. And they also have a bunch of guides on their website to help you out with things if you just want to read about it yourself. They also have volume discounts. They have custom email addresses, their Hover Valet service or their transfer domains for you and just so much more. So go right now to hover.com and you can try them out for yourself. You want to use the code MONKEYBRAIN at checkout. That's all one word, M-O-N-K-E-Y-B-R-A-I-N. And you will get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for this show. That's Monkey Brain at checkout. Thank you so much to hover.com for supporting this week's episode of Cortex. The iPad Pro, Gray. It's real. I know we're going to upset people that don't want us to talk about Apple products, but... Yeah. No, this is this is the Apple show now. This is, <laughs> this is what you've got today. If you don't want to hear about Apple, you should just stop the show right now. This is your warning. There you go. Now let's talk about Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll show them. <laughs> iPad Pro. Is this what you were looking for? So like if you are unaware, we have like a 12-inch iPad with a... It's incredibly powerful. We'll get to some of the other features that it has. Is this the kind of thing that you were looking for? This was really interesting to watch during the Apple announcement. To set the stage for this, I had released my most recent video the morning of the Apple event, and I spent all day kind of tracking and doing the normal stuff that I do on a release day. It's always very exhausting. But then at the end of the day, I was like, oh, this is timed so nicely. There's going to be a big Apple event. And I sat down on the couch with my wife, we had some wine, and we watched the Apple event live. Wow. In style. <laughs> we did. did. Do you know what happened? You mean with being on the plane and not being able to see it live? No. So, massive diversion. Mm -hmm. We get to the airport. I check in, and Adina is told she has to go and see somebody at the desk. Mm -hmm. So, she goes to the desk, and I'm kind of standing behind her like there's a gap between us like behind behind like the check-in agent and i can see her face and i watch her face change to a sad scared face mm -hmm. air canada would not let her fly through vancouver because she has an american visa mm -hmm. genuine reason they gave us if we needed to take a emergency landing in canada she wouldn't have a visa for canada right but we're going to vancouver where you don't pass through Canadian customs. Hmm. You go through American customs in Vancouver. They have their own section of the airport for the US. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But it doesn't help if you doesn't <laughs> if right. you can't go. It doesn't help if you're doing a forced landing in Alberta. Apparently. I mean this this logic is so mad. It's like you have to get a visa for every country you fly over? That doesn't feel right. So Air Canada wouldn't let her on, no matter what we did. So we had to basically run around the airport and find a new another airline that would allow Adina to fly and take a stopover somewhere in the US. So we booked her on a flight with United. So she had to go on her own. I had to go on my own. And she went through San Francisco, which meant that I arrived in Portland like three hours earlier. So I watched the Apple event on my own in a hotel room waiting for her to arrive. Very sad. Yeah, it's very sad. So that, that, was, my, <laughs> that was how I watched it. Very different to you with your lovely wife and a glass of wine. Yeah, I was on my, my couch, reclined all the way, <laughs> feeling like, what an enjoyable thing to do after a difficult day. I had not been on any planes. It was delightful. I'd been on two planes. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate you. It's your concern that I look for the most in our friendship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Empathy and concern. Yep. That's what you go to Grey for. It's the foundations of our friendship. Yeah. Well, normally when I watch the Apple events, it's just like on my computer on the side and I'm doing something else or I'm just tweeting or, or whatever. But this time I thought, you know what, Apple? It's been a long day. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to hope for the iPad Pro. And I just, I'll just sit here expectantly hopeful and see what you deliver. And Apple delivered the iPad Pro, which I have to say, I was quite surprised about. I figured this wasn't going to be until October, but they did everything all at once in a single show and iPad Pro was there. So yes, we have bigger screen, the most obviously visually different thing. There's a stylus, there's a keyboard. It's an, it's an interesting device and I cannot wait to see one in person because with, with so many of these things, it's hard to judge them until you have one in your hands. It's just like the Apple Watch. It's like you can you can look at as many pictures of it or videos of it on somebody's wrist. And it's, it's like your monkey brain says, I don't understand this until I'm holding it in my paws. And then once it's in your paws, you have a much better sense of, okay, this is how it feels. This is the weight. What is this object mean to me so i can't wait until it's in the stores to actually take a look at it but nonetheless i pre-ordered it immediately <laughs> or sorry i should say i am going to pre-order it just immediately you I... pre-ordered it in your mind yeah that's that's basically what happened there right it's like i'm already i'm already uh as you talk about in negotiation speak like i am past the sale yep i'm way past that in my mind took a look at your bank account siphoned off that money in your mind <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's already gone. What do you imagine doing on this? Like, why do you want this? Like, what what is better than the the current iPad Air 2 that you have? Okay, so there's a couple things. We will leave aside the stylus for the moment, about which there can be a whole conversation. But even if the stylus didn't exist, for me, the bigger screen is a is a selling feature. Just to have a larger surface to work on is an advantage for me. And it's, it's almost like... Uh, <sighs> You sometimes you hear computer programmers talk about this thing that how much of the program you can see on the screen when you're working on it is an important factor to how easy it is to work on a computer program. And that as soon as stuff starts scrolling off the screen, you are dealing with a very different problem. And I feel like when I'm writing my scripts, there's a little bit of this, that the more of the script I can see at once it's just helpful to have a better overall sense of the structure of what I'm trying to write. And part of the problem is that I have always 
cranked up the tech size on my iPads and anything I ever write on to ludicrous size. Like I just love to have the words really big. I don't know why, but I have a hard time reading when things are are what most people consider to be normal sizes. I want it to be like twice the size of normal size. So I always crank up the text really big, which means that on an iPad screen, I can see far less of the script than I could if I was a normal person. So just straight out of the box, simply having a larger screen means I can see more of the text at once, which is very helpful to me because then I have a sense of like, where have I come from in this script and where am I going in this script? And then of course you multiply that with, I do expect to be using more things side by side. So bigger screen, again, helpful there. Even if it had no other features than, oh, Apple just made a bigger iPad, here you go. I would still buy it without question. Now, can I ask you, Mike, Mm -hmm. are you going to buy the iPad? I will buy it. (laughs) Listen to that hesitation in your voice. Well, because I don't know if I want it. So let me explain. (laughs) Now, that's the reverse of how it normally works. Normally, it's you think, oh, I want it, but I'm not going to buy it for some reason. But you're thinking you're going to buy it even though you don't want it. So explain. Well, I, I might want it. So I have a recent love affair with the iPad again, and I'm finding since I've been able to kind of pick and choose when and where and how I work, the iPad fits in back into my life again, as mm-hmm. I'm able to do more. I am able to do work from it, uh, and I'm able to do it in situations where I might want to be relaxing at the same time, right? So not at my computer desk, you know, maybe mm-hmm. outside or on the sofa or something like that, and I can do some simple work on here, mm-hmm. um, like accounting work and email, that kind of stuff. Or reading Twitter, you know. It's kind of work, I guess, in a way. I don't know if I could do more if it was bigger, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know if that makes me do bigger work, right? I don't know if that's what happens. Uh, But I like the idea of... It's work, but bigger. It's just more work, right? That's how that works. It's bigger work. I can do bigger things with a bigger iPad. Your tweets will be twice as big. Yeah, 280 characters with the iPad Pro, I heard. (laughs) Uh, As the iPad seems to be becoming more powerful with the ability to have these split screens, I'm able to do different kinds of work more effectively. Mm -hmm. If I'm able to use two apps full size, pretty much side by side, as you can do on the iPad Pro, that's even better, right? That is... No compromise. I'm not just having one app that's kind of small or two apps that are kind of small. I've got two full-size apps here. I can do more with those. I like the idea of a stylus, the Apple Pencil, as it's called, because I'm a note-taking person. I take notes on pen and paper. I wonder if I could transfer that completely to an iPad. I've been unhappy with all stylus, really, for note-taking. For drawing, Mm. they tend to be fine for the types of sketches that I do. Because I tend to just be sketching something that is going to be turned into something else, or right? I'm not d- making art. Like I might be sketching a layout of a web page, right? And mm-hmm. I've done that sort of stuff on my iPad. Um, but the, the, with the precision that it seems that the Apple Pencil can give, I may be able to take real notes on this. Apple didn't really focus on note taking, so I'm not sure yet. They they were much more on like doing markup of documents and sketching. So mm-hmm. I, I'm waiting to see about note-taking. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. I want to try that out. I, I am currently as well in a state of change completely with all of my computing. Uh, I have a Mac Pro, which I will be getting rid of 
and getting an iMac as soon as the new ones become available. Once I've done that, I, I'm i finding that I currently don't use my laptop anymore except when I'm traveling. I'm, I've, trans- I've basically using my desktop Mac for all of my main work. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if I keep the laptop around when I'm like need to edit a podcast on a plane, but then just turn the iPad Pro into the work when I'm not at home computer when I like go to co-working spaces or whatever, mm-hmm. and then do all of my audio work on my desktop machine. And I'm thinking that that might be a nice setup. Uh, the MacBook, the current MacBook, I understand why people want to use it. I don't necessarily want that device. Um, it's not very fast. I don't. I couldn't do the stuff that I need a laptop for, like audio editing. I couldn't do that very well on that machine. So my thinking is, why don't I just not get an underpowered, thin, light computer and just get an iPad Pro, which has some interesting stuff that you can do on iOS? Because I like iOS some lot of the time more than OS ten just as as an operating system and the apps that are in it. Mm-hmm. But there are just certain things that I cannot do or cannot do easily on iOS, like yeah. audio editing. Or there's there's some more pa- things that take more screen real estate, which is why I choose a Mac to do them on rather than an iPad. But with a bigger iPad, I might do it. So this is the deliberation. You can hear it, the deliberation. Yeah. Yeah, you can hear what's going on here. You 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 are thinking out loud and trying to talk yourself into an iPad Pro. But the main reason I'm going to buy it, right, is not for my own purposes. It is I will be getting it and deciding if I want to keep it because of the shows. So I will be getting one because I don't think any of my other co-hosts will or can get one immediately. I think this is totally reasonable because in a real way, this is a business expense. Oh, it will be, 100%. You... You talk on many podcasts about Apple stuff. You want to have the ability to talk about it knowledgeably. So yes, I can totally understand that now that you are getting one and you will see if you want one as in if you will keep it after the original two weeks. Exactly. Because I genuinely feel that the people that tune in to our shows that are focused on that type of stuff, they want to hear what people think about it. And if I don't, if none of us have one, like, so for, say, for example, Connected, Stephen doesn't want to buy one. Federico, it doesn't come out in November in Italy. So then it yeah. leaves me, who can and will get one. And then I'll decide if I like it later on. But I'll, I'm planning on getting it completely decked out. I want to get the keyboard, get the stylus, because I think, I think they really are a package. All the three things make the product, which is interesting to me that they do sell it all separately. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's let's talk about the stylus, right? Let's yeah. talk about the stylus. The Apple because... Pencil, Gray. Uh, I hate that name. I don't. I like do it not either. like that name. I wish they called it the Apple Pen, and then I would have been happy. I don't like pencil. I don't like pencil. I think one of the reasons why I don't like pencil is it immediately makes me think you can flip it over to erase stuff. Like that to me seems the defining characteristic of a pencil. That is currently from stuff I have seen unknown as to whether the tip actually has some kind of thing. I saw a demo video. Yep. Where um, from that try on room where someone did exactly what I would expect, which is that they were drawing, they flipped over the Apple Pencil to try to erase the thing, and then the, the Apple person with them said, oh no, there's there's nothing in the back. It doesn't erase uh, when you use the reverse side of it. Which makes total sense because there's the lightning connector in the back there. But I think that's a real problem with the name Pencil, is it just makes you think, oh, there's two ends that are useful. They mm-hmm. should have just called it the Apple Pen. I have no idea why not. Or really, they should have called it 
the Steve Jobs stylus because everyone likes to make those jokes. Okay, so when I'm watching this, this Apple event and Apple comes out and they're like, oh, look at our gigantic iPad that we're marketing with Jupiter on the front of it, which I thought was a nice touch. Like it was funny, but it was also good. Yeah, I like that. I like the planet type stuff. It's like, this is huge. I like yeah. that. I think the, uh, whoever was in the marketing department for that one, like thumbs up on the planet imagery. It was it was excellent choice. But so then they come out and they're like, oh, we have a stylus for it. And of course, I've been leaning back. You know, my wife is leaning on me. I'm drinking my wine in the other hand watching this thing. But then the promo video comes on for the stylus and it's like, okay, concentrate now. Like lean forward. We're going to look at this video very closely. (laughs) This is what you've been asking for, Gray. More importantly, it's like, I want to see the details in this video because it's all about the details. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am pretty sure that I have purchased every stylus that has ever been manufactured anywhere in the world that is, say, over the $20 mark, right? So not just like cheapo styluses that aren't meant to be good. Any stylus that was meant to be good, I have bought them all. All the Kickstarter styli, I bought the Evernote stylus, I have bought all of them because... I wanted a good stylus, but my journey from each one of them, from rubber tip styli to mesh styli to fine point styli has been nothing but a trail of tears because each stylus was disappointing in its own unique way. And I was thinking a long time ago about writing a review of (laughs) the like dozen styli that I had and why each one was was terrible. But it just made me so sad that I couldn't even bring myself to write like a comprehensive review about all of them. Because they were just they were just never up to task or never up to task for a long period of time. Like you could use them for a while and then the irritations would really get to you and I feel like this is more trouble than it's really worth. And so like I am keenly aware of the deficiencies that can exist in stylized. So that's why I wanted to watch this video very closely. And there were two things that I picked up on. The first thing that concerned me was there was a lot of hover hand in the video. So I couldn't help but notice that in the Apple promo one, almost everybody who was drawing something, like they had their hands just above the iPad, right? Their hand was not touching the iPad. Sometimes it would, but like 80% of the shots, it was a hover hand maneuver of someone holding their hand over and drawing. And then the second thing was, even in the promo videos, you could see that there was some lag between the tip of the Apple Pencil and the line on the screen. Now, not a lot of lag, not much compared to stuff before, but some lag. Yeah. And so these things are a little bit of a cause for concern for me because, like you, one of my primary use cases for a stylus, and the reason I have been so frustrated with previous ones, is to write things in the English language. And so I have this workflow that is sadly underused on my computer, but where at any moment I can pull up a PDF version of any of the scripts that I'm working on. And I used to use the styluses to on the screen mark up and make corrections to like a piece of paper version of the script because that's a very different writing experience. And I always felt that it made the scripts stronger when I could edit and work on them in this fashion. So I want to do this, but it means that I need a stylus that is 
relatively precise. And it also means that I need to be able to rest my hand on the screen and not have any errors really about, oh, is he tapping here? Did he mean to zoom in? Because that's just hugely frustrating when that happens. So I am extremely interested to, to try the pencil in person, but like you, I couldn't help but notice like they're focusing on art, they're focusing on big, broad movements, and I'm, um, I'm not going to get my hopes up for the pencil because, like as I said before, I have nothing but but broken broken hearts from all of my relationships with all of my styli in the past. So I want it to be great, but I'm not counting on it being great. The latency stuff can be fine. I think one of the things that they're trying to build into this is the idea that the pencil always moves a little bit quicker, so you, it's not covering up the writing. Mm-hmm. So I think it, uh, it seems that they've improved the latency. There's always going to be some, and as long as it's barely noticeable, I can live with that. With In regards to the wrist detection, mm-hmm. I'm confident they've got that sorted, partly because this is a Bluetooth uh, stylus here. So if they are doing this the way I expect they are doing this, and they kind of hint towards this in the marketing copy, the idea of the stylus touching the screen is kind of a two-fold maneuver, where it knows it's being touched, but the, the, the Bluetooth stylus itself measures some of the movement, mm-hmm. and that between the two of them, they are making the line. I did see some hands-on demos that looked promising with people being able to use the pen and then say tap on the screen with their fingers or or have their hand touch it. But it's just like I've seen demos or, or cases where it works like that with all previous styluses. But that's very different from I'm going to be writing on the screen for 45 minutes and at no point do I want the screen to just suddenly jump to 800% zoom or flip over to the next page because it wrongly interpreted my hand resting on the screen as an input. This is the thing with the pen is that the reason all the other styluses had the problem is because they were they had these limitations around them. And so you need Apple to build this into the iPad in order to make it work right. So that's why it, like I, it can work right and I really hope that it works right. The, the pencil is exciting to me. I mean, it's a thing. Like, if it works, I will be very happy. Mm-hmm. But like you, I'm just hesitant of being like, this is going to be great. And then it's not great. Exactly. Because exactly. you can get it so wrong so easily. Yeah. Because so many people have. Yeah, without, without a doubt. There's a couple other things that I do want to mention about the pencil, which are also on my mind. One of them that I find a little concerning is the fact that it's not included with your purchase of the iPad Pro. For me, this is, this is not like, oh, I'm cheap and I don't want to buy the pencil. Like, I'm going to buy the pencil. Almost certainly I'm going to buy two because one is none. <laughs> or this thing. There's no way to clip it anywhere. Like... It's just going to get lost forever, always. This is the dual thing that worries me. It's not included, and there's there's nowhere to put it. And it just feels to me like, Apple, I know you have a lot of space in this iPad because of the weird shot they did with the speakers, like that. The, there's these huge cavities for the speakers, and they also didn't make the battery life any longer, so it was like, hey, oh, 10 hours. It's like a fundamental law of the universe that no iPad can have more battery life than 10 hours. You had space to put this super thin stylus, 
why isn't there like a little slot that I can put this stylus into and then it charges inductively while it's in that slot? Or even in the case. Yeah, or even in the case, some like just a loop of fabric to put it in, right? It's just, the, 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 just do something like that. Why this concerns me is it will hinder adoption rates for the software side of things. Not everybody who buys an iPad Pro also buys a pencil. How much incentive is there for lots of other programs to try to work with the pencil as much as possible? So I'm thinking of lots of like the note-taking apps that I use. Like surely Apple has some APIs for for this pencil that they would want people to to use. The pencil feels like it's such a fundamental part of this thing. I would really want to see it come with the iPad Pro solely to really encourage adoption and use of it. Yeah. That like that's why I want it there. Okay. The keyboard, some people are complaining, "Oh, they don't include the keyboard. They're cheaping out." Keyboard, I can totally understand selling as an accessory because some people might not want a keyboard cover case, right? That, that's fine. And the keyboard is not a fundamentally new input device. It's a keyboard. There are many keyboards. We've established that keyboards are a standard input, but the pen is not a standard input. It's kind of, this isn't a fair comparison, but it's a bit like with the Apple TV about how Apple doesn't have a game controller to go with the Apple TV. And that shows that Apple is like not really concerned about games on the Apple TV, that their that their whole perspective on it is, ah, if you can put a casual game on the Apple TV, you know, that's fine. But we're not we're not really interested in having complicated games on the Apple TV. Whereas if Apple had shipped an Apple TV with a game controller that came by default, you would know like, okay, Apple is serious about games but they clearly aren't. And so I just worry that the pen is a little bit like this with the iPad Pro, that Apple's like, yeah, we're kind of into it, but we're not into it enough to really sell this as an input device that everybody who makes professional apps should consider. I completely agree with you, especially with the gaming console thing. Um, I My feeling would be apps that are already built for note-taking will adopt this immediately. Mm-hmm. And there were actually, with iOS 9, some new APIs around touch sensitivity, which is how the in the Notes app, how the drawing stuff is so good. Mm-hmm. It's because they added these new APIs hmm. for touch latency anyway. So they've probably added some more stuff for the pencil. So I'm confident that apps that are centered around the idea of taking notes drawing and stuff like that will put this stuff in but maybe Mm -hmm. apps that aren't necessarily focused on that so much like so for example i think one that you're probably thinking of and i'm considering is omnigraffle there are a few apps that are on my mind omnigraffle is one of them like it doesn't necessarily need the stylus might be nice if you had it Mm -hmm. right so like there's there's apps like that where it's like ah, well so now i'm not sure if you're gonna introduce this as a a thoughtful input method or like you know just apps that are about pdfs for example enabling you to use it i mean you see people like so they have microsoft on stage right and microsoft showed off their uh the way that they're going to put the pencil into office Mm -hmm. it's like yeah okay because for them it's like you could also do that stuff with your finger Mm-hmm. Right, Draw, like doing the markup things and that and stuff like that. But I do, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and I just like one of my thoughts is okay. Here's something that I I wouldn't use, but just I'm just 
conceptually thinking about it is you could imagine doing something like editing audio on an iPad Pro where if the application understands the difference between say, oh, here's my left hand, which is on the screen and here's the pencil is in my right hand. I can imagine a way that like you can be doing selections with the pencil and gestures with the left hand that could make a professional level task like audio editing possible to do on the iPad Pro as long as the app understands that oh it's not a finger on the other side like it's a pencil and we're going to move into this different mode where it's just always selecting like we know it's a selector device and then the gestures on the left hand are always what to do with the selections i, I can i can just imagine building apps around the presumption that someone has a stylus as an input device that really could make a difference in how you work and i just worry that those things won't necessarily come about because the app creators can't assume that everyone who has a pro also has access to a pencil so that's 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 what i worry about i also have one very minor complaint about the pencil are you ready <laughs> ready <laughs> please why is it white why is the pencil white i pro is dark colors everywhere in the world we understand this every Apple app that's pro is dark colors. When you buy pro equipment, it's dark colors. The iPad Pro is available only in space gray. Why does it come with a white pencil? Is it only available in space gray? Yeah, the iPad Pro is just dark. Ah, curses. <laughs> Mike beat me to Google. I was wrong. <laughs> it's even in gold. I could have sworn that it was it was just the space gray. That's just all their a lot of their promo shots, sorry, but they have some promo shots of the white. I think if you're gonna make a white one, fine, but you should also make a black one. Why is there no black one? Yeah, I don't understand why there isn't a black one. It doesn't make sense. Why why did you choose white? And if you chose white, why have you just gone with only white? It's weird, right? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why they did it. Some it's, it's a Johnny Ive thing, right? I honestly think Apple's doing it because it's eye-catching. Mm. If someone is using a white input device, that is rare. And the white input device, like yeah. the pencil, it looks very big. And so I, I feel this, this little grain of sand in my mind of resentment of, you could have made it black. I think you didn't make it black because you want people in cafes or in airports to notice someone using this different thing. This different thing that you also didn't include by default. <laughs> so I'm just, it just irks me that it's in white. It's like none of the equipment that I have is white. Everything is black or dark gray. Like it matches and it just seems like it's a more professional color. Like you can have it in white, but also have it in black. I just, I just think it doesn't look good. Like when the when you have to do the thing when you plug it into the bottom, it's like, oh, I have this black iPad, and now I'm plugging in this white pencil, and I'm going to leave it on the desk here for a minute. It, it just, I don't like the look of it. It just, it shouldn't matter, but it really does irritate me that it's not available in black. And I think it's just a marketing thing so that it's, it stands out more obviously. That's my guess. I have a gripe. Yeah, what's your gripe? It's perfectly round. Is it? 
Well, God if you damn look it, at it, Johnny there's no way it's not, right? All, all of the pictures show it as that way. There's no way that it's not. So I'm just looking at the photos and I can see that this thing is a perfect cylinder, which is the worst thing to do for an input device because you will put it down on the desk and it will just roll away. Okay, you know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm thinking? Here's my thought. When I was a very young kid in school and trying to learn how to write, my primary school teachers thought that I couldn't hold a pencil correctly. And so they attached onto the pencil this triangular solid. Yep, yep. those <laughs> <Right>? rubber grip things. <laughs> so I had to write with those <laughs> rubber grip things for forever as a kid. It seemed like I was using them embarrassingly long because I was just not able to hold a pen correctly. So if this thing is perfectly round, which I just don't think is also necessarily ergonomic for a pencil, maybe I'll buy those triangles again. (laughs) I mean, what else are you going to do, right? Someone's got to make that, those little rubber triangle things. Yeah. I love they show the pictures of it on the desk. That picture is not real. There's no way you put that thing down and it stayed still. Yeah. If if it really is a perfect cylinder, this is, again, Johnny Ives' war against ergonomic use of anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, do you know people hold pencils in their hand, Johnny Ive, for long periods of time? Presumably you want people to use this for long periods of time. Maybe it should be comfortably grippable. Maybe you should be able to put it on a surface and it doesn't roll away. <laughs> All right. T- I'll tell you what I want, Gray. What do you want? Considering that the tip, that the end, sorry, like the the end of the pencil does nothing, mm-hmm. and all it is is a cap that has a lightning connector on the end. Mm-hmm. I want a third party cap with a flat edge. Yeah, that's all they would need to do. Yeah, that's all. That, so somebody make that, and and you will get my money. A, a third party <laughs> cap that goes on the end that has a flat edge to stop it rolling off the desk. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited about using this, but like. All of these things we're talking about is the the reasons for why I think I might not be keeping it. Because it feels like that it it will be laden with frustration, but could be (laughs) life-changing. Well, yes, this is exactly it. To everyone who has listened to us complain about this for the past 20 minutes, like deep down in my heart, I'm really excited, but I just, I can't let that excitement grow. No. Because of all of the signs. It's like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be this all over again. If you, if you just let yourself be completely taken over by the excitement, you are, building, you, you are setting yourself up for inevitable heartbreak. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because that, that is our love affair of Apple. I, I'm looking at these pages. Have you looked at the uh, iPad Pro product pages? Oh, yeah, of course I have. Have you seen the way that people hold this thing in, in, the, in the images? Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> okay, yeah, so... <laughs> This, this, was my, this is one of my bullet points about this as well, which is I wonder about the weight of this device. And this is one of the I have to see this in person kind of things because the pictures are showing these, again, tiny little hands holding this thing in the very bottom corner. You couldn't even call it the bottom eighth. It's like the bottom 16th of the device is where your thumb and your fingers are holding it. And... I'm just assuming that this is a two-handed all-the-time device, but every promo shot shows it with just a single hand holding it, floating in space with a picture of Jupiter on the center of it. It's like these, it's this mixed message. Just it's like, two hands, yeah. two hands. Cause it's... Is, it, <laughs> is it really big or is it really easy to hold in one hand? Because I doubt it can be both. And all it, all it reminds me of is... I often think of 
the difference between the original iPad Air and the iPad Air 2. Now, if you look on Apple's product spec pages, and if you have two of them side by side and look at them, these devices are so close, it's remarkable. Uh, the, the weight between them is a tiny difference. The height of them is a tiny difference. But when I got my iPad Air, I really disliked it. And I would say it's one of my, my, on my, if I had to like rank all of my Apple stuff, it is very close to the bottom of that list of things that I've ever liked that I got from Apple. Because I felt it was, it was just like centimeters over the actually comfortable to use with one hand line. And the iPad Air 2 is one of my favorite Apple devices ever because it's just on the other side of that line. It is genuinely comfortable for me to use with a single hand to not think about. And this is weight, right? Weight is the is the key point here. Weight is the key point. It's also ever so slightly the thickness I do think matters as well. Okay. But it's it's just a tiny tiny weight difference that that is like it's the difference that makes the difference. And it's this feeling of like I really don't like you, iPad Air. And like, I love you with all my heart, iPad Air 2. And like, what's the difference? Oh, 0.05 pounds. Or actually, 0.005 pounds. Like, that's the difference between these things. It's like nothing. Um, but it it's just enough to make a difference. And so I just think like their marketing of the iPad Pro with people holding it with one hand, it just feels to me like, don't do this. It can't possibly be a one-handed device. Like, if I don't think my iPad Air is genuinely a one-handed device, there's no way the iPad Pro, which is more than half a pound heavier and several inches larger in the diagonal, is going to be a one-handed device. Just show people holding it with two hands, Apple. It's fine. Everyone will be happier if you just show it that way. Do you know what the, you know the weight? So it's 1.57 pounds. Do you know what else weighed about that? Isn't it the way of the first iPad, right? The original iPad, which was yeah. not comfortable to hold in one hand. <laughs> that thing was heavy. Like, I know one and a half pounds isn't heavy, right? That is not a heavy weight. But if you're just holding it in, a, in one hand, that is, that is heavy. And I, my, my feeling about this is the balance is going to be all off in this thing because it's so large. Yeah, that, that's the big problem is where, where is the center of gravity and, and that was kind of my feeling with the iPad Air 2 is it was more of a torque issue. Like you can feel it turning out of your hand. And so you're pushing against it. It's not, it's not really the direct weight. And that like that's what the iPad Pro is going to be if you try to hold it in that tiny corner. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of torque from the center of mass pushing down that you have to you have to counteract with your little thumb on the other end. All right, let's talk. Let's go back to talking about what we could actually use this thing for. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, it was something I wanted to to mention earlier with what you were talking about, mm-hmm. about how much you, you know, using iOS and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and wanting a device for that. Why do you want to use iOS over OS ten in these scenarios? Because like, you know, like I was going through, you could just buy a really light laptop. Yeah, there's several reasons why I don't want to buy a laptop. One of which is I really like being able to physically separate the screen from the keyboard. If I ever can, I like to prop up the iPad screen on a little stand and I'll put it on maybe like a book so that the uh, the screen is closer to eye level than the keyboard is. 
And if I'm going around to cafes and things, depending on the height of the table, I like to be able to sometimes put the keyboard on my lap and have the iPad on the table. And so it's that physical separation that makes a big difference for me. It's surprisingly comfortable to be able to do that. And you kind of don't realize with a laptop how easy it is to end up just like hunched over the screen uh, when the two things are in inseparable or inseparable. So that that's one big advantage to me of the iPad. And the second reason that I use the iPad so much for writing is it's just less distractible of an environment than OS X. Mm. There are far fewer things that I can do on it. And that was one of the things that really attracted me to using an iPad the first time. It was it was the retina screen plus the fact that's like when I'm when I'm writing, like here is my writing app and this is just what I'm working on. And you know what I can't do? I can't mess around with automated scripts on my computer. I don't have the whole world of Steam games available to me at any moment. Now, of course, as time has gone on as, and as the iPads have gotten more and more capable, that is less and less true. Like now you can mess around with, say, an app like Workflows. You, like there's other distractions that are available, but I still find iOS is just a calmer operating system that sounds almost dumb to say out loud but it's just like the mental feeling of it is a bit more like oh okay this is simple and this is clear and it facilitates focus on what am i doing right now Mm -hmm. so I, i just find it a more enjoyable experience to work on ios than os x and plus my big laptop at home this has really become for me a kind of work machine. So when I am sitting at my desk, I know what I am doing. I am editing podcasts or I am animating for uh, an upcoming video. And and that now, like now it's almost like there's this separation in my mind of which devices are for what. And so when I'm sitting at my computer, I feel like I'm very much now in, okay, I'm doing podcasts, I'm animating or I'm editing audio, like this is the mode that I am in when I am at my desk. And then I am in writing and research mode when I'm on my iPad. And I find that that split just in and of itself is helpful, that each device is not necessarily for everything, that there's different modes for working. So that's what that's really why I just I really like using the iPad. All right, so let's talk about shattering those modes. Uh, do you you think that you could use the iPad Pro for editing or production of videos or would you want to if you could there's no way that some of the final animation stage is ever going to happen on an iPad it's just it's very unlikely for a while never say never yeah yeah I should be clear about that I am a techno optimist and of course eventually when you get full haptic feedback so it feels like you're pressing the screen and stuff of course then you can do stuff but the iPad as it currently exists today. That said, my last video was an interesting example of trying out some basic animation stuff on an iPad. And so uh, the video that I most recently put up was the Royal Family video where I go through this whole big family tree from 1066 until now. And I did the rough draft of that entirely in OmniGraffle on an iPad. And it was partly just to see how like can i use this for some animation work 
And the answer was, under the right circumstances, yes. But even then, that was still much more the writing and the research phase. Because what I was really doing is like, oh, okay, I'm building... I'm building out this big graph of the relationships between all of these people. And as I'm doing this, like I'm reading other stuff, I'm researching stuff, I'm making corrections. So it still felt like the script creation process. But once I had the basic outline, then for the more detail work, I switched right back to the computer. So adding in all the photos, making sure the alignment everywhere is perfectly correct, adding in text labels all over the place, like that stuff it still makes more sense and it's way faster to do on the computer. There's definitely a place for a kind of rough animation, research animation that can be done on an iPad. And that's partly why I'm also really excited about the iPad stylus. Like be, a, being able to make that easier means that I would do it much more on an iPad. See, I, my feeling would be I would like it if I could do podcast production well, like to a mm-hmm. similar standard. Mm-hmm. So then I wouldn't need a laptop anymore. Mm-hmm. But I'm not holding out hope that that's going to happen for a while. Yeah, audio editing, that's... I think that is that is asking for a lot. I can imagine it happening, as I mentioned before. But, you know, it, I think it might just take a while to develop the software to do yeah. that kind of Cause, thing. Because I imagine manipulating those files directly being a much nicer experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, taking the pencil and using it to control the actual waveforms yes, feels yeah. nice. But we're a long way away from that. Yeah, especially if they could add in a little bit of haptic feedback. That would be very nice. Yeah. Oh, great. See, this is, this is the magic that we can assume in our future. Right. Not today, Not today but someday. But someday. And this episode of Cortex is also brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your own website today at squarespace.com and use the offer code Cortex at checkout to get yourself 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. With Squarespace, you'll be able to build a website that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding experience required. With Squarespace's intuitive and easy-to-use tools, you can make a website that looks and feels exactly how you want. I've used Squarespace in the past for many things because they do stuff better than I can. I don't know how to build a website on my own. I wouldn't want to do it. Uh, I wouldn't want to learn. And Squarespace give me and can give you all of the tools that you're ever going to need. So we use Squarespace at the moment to power our blog and our store at Relay FM because they make the tools that we need better than we ever could or would want to or put the money into it. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to help power your site. They will ensure security and stability and they are trusted by millions of people all around the world. Their templates are really fantastic. They look really, really great and they're very easy to adapt. You can change the fonts, you can change the colors and easily change the layouts and they feature responsive design all built in to make sure that your site looks great on all manner of devices. I mentioned that we have our store, we sell some Relay t-shirts and stickers, and we do this with Squarespace's commerce platform. It really easily allows you to sell physical and digital goods. You can build them straight into your site. Uh, You can manage inventory, you get shipping information, it integrates with Stripe for payment processing. It's super, super simple. If you have any issues with Squarespace or you need any help, they have 24-7 support with live chat and email who are standing by to help you with any queries, questions that you may have have. They have rock-solid, fast hosting and so much more. Like, for example, their dev platform. It's now out of beta and it's available to everybody, and they've added even more functionality to the platform, allowing you to get in, 
tinker with the code and take your Squarespace site further than ever before if that is your bag. If you sign up for a year with Squarespace, you'll also get yourself a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and you can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure that you use that offer code Cortex. It will get you 10% of your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring Cortex and Relay FM. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Are you going to get the new iPhone? Unlike the iPad Pro, which I have apparently just pre-ordered in my mind, I have actually pre-ordered the next iPhone 6S Plus. Good work. These names are getting too long. I had to think about that really hard. Which phone is it? 6S Plus. It's too many letters. Too many words. Yeah, they box themselves into a corner with that S now. Yeah, they really have. But so anyway, yes, I have ordered one, and it will, uh, well, depending on UK parcel services, eventually be arriving at my house in the future. Oh, you see, Gray, I wasn't willing to accept that anymore, because I have this problem. The problem in the UK, for those of you that are not in the UK, is not so much that, oh, it could come at any time today. With the iPhone orders... They just can't cope with the amount, and it could basically come at any point in any day in the future. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, it would deliver on Wednesday. Oh, no, now it's Thursday. Oh, no, now it's Friday. Like, it just goes mm-hmm. on and on and on. So mm-hmm. this time, I have reserved for in-store pickup. I missed that option, and I am now supremely disappointed that I missed that, because I would have totally done that Yep. otherwise. I was looking for it. It was in the Apple Store app. So when you go into the app for the ordering, right at the very top under where basically where it says the how long it's shipping, uh, when you select what you want, it's like, would you like to reserve? Like just something changes. It goes, check availability. So I now have a time frame between 8.45 and 9 a.m. to go and pick up my iPhone from my nearest Apple store. And this makes me very happy. I might seriously consider after the show just canceling my order and trying to do it again to see if I can do in-store pickup. I would do that the other way around. Ah, I would yes, see if you can maybe get sense. one and then cancel because <laughs> you could end up with nothing. Right. Excellent uh, point. <laughs> but that's what I've done. And uh, and so now I'll be picking mine up, which I'm very happy about because I was just going to line up, which I've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's what I was going to do. I was just going to go ahead and just line up for it because I, I like to have my destiny in my own hands and not in the hands of UK Mail, which are right. potentially the worst company ever created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without so. a doubt. This delivery is super unreliable every time. Every time. Every <laughs> single time. I think I have been on the yearly upgrade cycle since the 5S. I think I've gotten every one since then. And before then, I was on the every other year cycle, I mm-hmm. think is the way I've, uh, I've done it. In many ways, there's not much that's different about the new iPhone. But as I was uh, saying to my wife before the event, Apple only needs to say two words to convince me to buy the new phone. Can I guess what they are? Take a guess. It's faster. No. Better camera. Oh, okay. Tim Cook could come on stage, Hmm. hold up the iPhone, say the words, better camera, drop it on the stage, walk off. And if that was the end of the event, I would still have pre-ordered it just as fast. 
I know that you used to be a photography guy, mm-hmm. but do you? T- I, I, for some reason, just didn't imagine you taking a lot of pictures on your iPhone. It's not that I take a lot of pictures, but it's just that my iPhone is my camera now. Like I, I used to have professional camera equipment. I mean, I still have it collecting dust somewhere in the house. But on the past several vacations that my wife and I have taken both of us have just have said like is it really worth bringing this extra gear and i I understand that the pictures are better don't get me wrong like i really deeply better than most people understand how much better the pictures are if you take your dslr but the truth of it is like when i'm on vacation i'm I'm always just in such a lazy mode on vacations i don't want to carry around anything more than i absolutely have to and so my iphone is essentially exclusively the only camera that I use. I get that. I have to say, the difference between the 5 and the 6 was a really big difference. And I think that this is this is now at the level where this really can be your only camera and it takes good enough pictures under most, most circumstances. And so that's why I, I, all I think is, well, I used to spend a bunch of money on camera equipment... And I don't spend that money now. And so if I look at it in some ways of like, oh, buying the phone is just like buying a new camera. It's a it's a no brainer. Like, of course, like, do I want pictures of my wife and my family to be better than they were before? Yes, I do. Am I willing to purchase a new phone to get that? Yes, I am. So even if it came with no additional features, that to me would be the total sale. Better camera. Done. Take my money, Tim Cook. Here you go. I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, but the conversation, this was a few weeks before, uh, but when, obviously, you know the new phone is coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I came to the realization that my iPhone is the most important computer that I own. Mm. I use it the most. It's the marketing line, but it is kind of like the hub of everything in my life. It all goes into here. Mm-hmm. where some devices don't have that so much. Um, so I'm at the point now where if I can make this computer better, I will do that. And right. I am happy to do that once a year. Yeah, I think that is a very reasonable thing to decide. And I, I have a little note in our show notes for this thing, which I haven't really thought through very well, but I've run into this notion from people that I think of as upgrade guilt where people feel guilty about upgrading their devices. Now, whenever I think about upgrades, it's like there's there's really only two things to consider. One, do you have the disposable income? (laughs) If you don't have that, then the conversation is over. And do you have the desire for this new thing? Whatever that might mean. Like, do you do you think this thing is going to is going to make your life better in some way. And like for you, you have recognized that this is your primary computer or the center of your digital life in some ways. And so any improvement in it is a big improvement overall. Yes. So like it makes sense to to get it. Any improvement, the some improve the total improvement it will have to my life is magnified. Exactly. Right? So any any small improvement is that could potentially make this better, like it being faster. Any right. amount of speed increase that I get from my iPhone is big bonus. Right, because you use it so much. Yes. Right? It's, it's just the center of it. Some people have this feeling of, again, I know people in real life 
who are in the situation where they have these two things that buying a new iPhone is not going to be a big deal like they have the disposable income for it and they also have the desire for it but they feel this guilt like they're not supposed to buy a new thing when just when the new thing comes out even if it's only slightly better and this this seems to always be focused around electronics like electronics fit into this category in people's mind that is somehow different from things. I just I just find this an interesting phenomenon. Like I know enough people who want the thing and they have the money for the thing and they know that the thing will be better on the axes that they care about, but they, they don't want to buy it out of some sense of guilt or some sense that they shouldn't. Well, the thing is, how much money are you going to spend on Friday? I am getting the uh, 128 gigabyte one. Right. Plus. So you're going to spend like 800 pounds. Like, right. That is it. That is why people get weirded out about it. It's, in, it's a very, very large sum of money relative to food, right? It definitely is. It, it definitely is. But that's that's why I'm starting with the like, do you have free income to spend on this thing? Exactly. And my thing is, my business is going to buy it, right? This is, for me, this is like as as warranted for me anyway as a business expense becomes. And then, there, you know, I don't need to tell people there are a bunch of different benefits for having a business buy and own this type of equipment. And that is a thing that I'm going to be doing, and it makes sense to me. But even if it wasn't, because before, I still bought one every year, because I could make the money for it. I made space for the money for it, because it's important to me. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I think back to a thing that I used to do. Back when I was a teacher, my laptop was the absolute center of my life. And so because I didn't want to use the Windows computers at school, I was always lugging my laptop back and forth and using it every day and using it all day. And like you with your phone, I at the time recognized, like, I spend so much time on this laptop that almost any improvement is a huge deal. Like 10% faster if I use it 12 to 16 hours a day like it makes a difference and so when i was a teacher i had a separate savings account which was just for new laptops and every month i put money into the laptop savings account and the way it worked was i put enough money aside so that uh, i was on i figured it out so it was like every 18 months if apple had something new I was able to get it. I felt very guilt-free about that because I'm acknowledging I spend an inordinate amount of time on this device. It is worth upgrading it, even if it is 20% faster or with the laptops slightly lighter. Like whenever they made it a little bit lighter with the laptop at the time, like that was a big deal when you're carrying it back and forth all the time. Like I've had the money set aside for this iPhone for about two months. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, just waiting, yeah. Yeah, I've been saving it Yeah, because I knew this was going to happen. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I am not at that point where I could just be like, oh, I'll just magic up the money today. But I've been saving for it. I still have money set aside for electronics as well, which is the exact same thing. Like, (laughs) I know Apple's going to come out with a new thing. Is there money uh, available for it? Yes, in my budget. Like, I have it here. It's in this account. It's ready to go. It's Mm -hmm. waiting. And the moment that I can turn this into a new phone, excellent. Like this is this is great, and it's a similar kind of thing. Of like, if I can get better pictures out of it, 
this is exactly the purpose that I want for it. And also like you, like I use it so much if, for example, Safari doesn't lose all of my work when I'm busy filling in a form just because I've switched over to one password and then I come back and it, it refreshes the page because it has no RAM. Like if I avoid doing that because the new one has more RAM, like this is great. This yeah. is an improvement yep. and it is 100% worth it. I have now started saving money for the iPad Pro. There you go. See? We will keep upgrading business expense for you can we finish up today with your little your crazy theory that you have shared with me and i would like for you to share with the audience (laughs) because it's kind of crazy and i think it's crazy enough to make sense and i'm interested in it and i'm very interested to see what our audience believes of it yeah you think it's crazy like a fox maybe (laughs) yeah a little bit kind of like you really yeah there we go okay so I, i we were talking over lunch about this and the theory is about why does apple still sell the 16 gigabyte iPhone. Now, a friend of the show, underscore David Smith, has recently written an excellent article where he has a bunch of data about how terrible of an experience the 16 gigabyte iPhone is. And many people are talking about, you know, Apple still sells this and why it's awful. Apple it themselves kind of admitted with iOS 8 that they had upgrade problems because people didn't have enough space on their phone to upgrade their devices. And the thing that I keep hearing from everybody is Apple's doing this for two reasons, that it's profitable for them and that it also like it pushes people up to the 64 gigabyte model so that the, the motivation behind this is money. On the talk show, even, John Gruber asked Phil Schiller about selling the smaller phones, and we got an entirely unsatisfactory answer. I don't think it's about the money. I think Apple knows it's a bad enough experience that they don't want to sell a 16 gigabyte iPhone. My crazy theory is that this is a supply chain issue, that Apple sells so many iPhones around the world that they are consuming a significant portion of the global supply of the kind of memory that is used in iPhones and that they are actually supply constrained. And I mentioned to you at lunch, one of the things that was my prediction to back up my theory is if on the the 6S, or if on the theoretical Pro, they don't have 256 gigabyte versions, that they don't increase the top uh, size tier, like maybe this is a little bit of evidence for, Apple just can't get their hands on enough NAND chips for the memory. That this is the real reason why the 16 gigabyte iPhone still exists. Not because they want to, but because they have to keep selling it. That that theory makes sense to me because I I genuinely can't understand why they're doing it at this point. Like mm-hmm. I can understand the cost cutting thing, but it doesn't meet with the customer satisfaction metrics that Apple and Tim Cook seem so much to care about. Right, Tim Cook loves his customer sat stats. Exactly, right? he and just customer loves sats it. will be back within the charts if they if they keep doing the sixteen gigabyte because it upsets people because they get frustrated with it. Mm-hmm. So it makes that the only logical explanation for me is that there is some sort of technical limitation and a supply limitation would make sense. But I just don't 
know how it works, like in regards to like the chips. Are the chips the same and you need more of them? Or are there like less of the 16 gigabyte chips in general? Like I don't feel like I fully understand the way the production works. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense to me, your reasoning, like that there is only so many that they can use. And if they want to go 32 everywhere, they won't have enough of it. Yeah, and and I actually even think that the uh, underscore David Smith article backs me up even more because his numbers are that it was something like, what, 40, 45% of people maybe are buying the bottom end uh, iPhone 6. So if you figure 40% of the people who buy iPhones are buying the 16 gigabyte model, and if you upgraded that to 32, you'd have to double the amount of memory in 40% of the global iPhone sales. Feels like too much, yeah. I think yeah. that is not a trivial amount of, of demand for this, this product. And I, I honestly think it's, it's an issue of the ability in the global electronics world to supply this stuff. And we do kind of know from some documents that Apple's dealings with companies is to like lock down and pre-purchase all of their supply. And so like this this happens when competitors go around to the the companies that manufacture parts for Apple and they say, "Oh hey, can you manufacture tiny hard drives for us too?" And the company has to say, "Oh no, Apple has pre-bought 100% of our output over the next 5 years." And so it's it's the fact that Apple does that kind of stuff too that makes me just feel like it's the memory chips that are in short supply here. Like this is the precious resource. Apple has already locked down as much of this as they possibly can, but it is just still not enough. It's still not enough. Because otherwise, I just I feel like all of the evidence points toward Apple doesn't really want to do this, but they are constrained to do this. So that's my theory. So because I feel like I don't f- I don't know how these things are made. But assuming it takes more material and or more work to make a 32 gigabyte, then it mm. makes sense to me. Because you're right, if it's half of the, all the iPhones sold, which we know is quadrillions of iPhones, <laughs> yeah. right? It's exactly. infinitamillions. Like it's just an, a number that doesn't even make any sense quarter on yeah. quarter. If that keeps going up, like where does the material come from? Where does how do you get these chips if they have to double all of that? I, I understand that. Like it feels like a a problem that is too tough to solve, so they're just gonna keep ignoring it. Like it's like, we'll just keep doing it and then eventually we'll have to change, but not this time. I just think that they're they're stuck with the alternative is if we give it more RAM, it means we have to sell fewer phones because we simply can't supply the memory. Or the cost has to go up in some way to offset something. Part of my theory here is that this isn't even a cost issue. Right. That, okay. it, that it really is just a, a physical limitation in the in the production lines. That there's there's some bottleneck in the production of chips. Like they just they just couldn't do it. That they'd have to sell fewer phones if they wanted to double the memory in the bottom in the bottom line. Because it does seem super weird, right? That you go 16, 64, 128. Yeah. Like at this point, that's just strange. Why that huge gap in the middle? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense unless you don't have enough of these chips. It doesn't make. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, of course, I could be totally wrong. It could be that Apple is is trying to push people up the chain. 
but it just, it's been 16 gigabytes so long. I just don't think that that is really the reason. I just don't think it is. So that's my theory. I mean, at this point, I don't care if you're wrong because I like that theory so much that I'm just going to say it's right. <laughs> that's how things work by consensus. <laughs> that is it. Case closed. <laughs>